Hello everyone and welcome to PA Study Sesh. I'm your host, McKenna Morgan, and this week we'll be discussing hypertension and hyperlipidemia. Hello guys, I am back from vacation. Took a little study break, got some R&R and unplugged, and uh, I'm ready to resume our traditional podcast format. As I mentioned, we are discussing hypertension and hyperlipidemia. Uh, We're going to be focusing more on hypertension this episode because there's a little more to it. I think it's tested on a bit more, and so I think that's that's what we're going to do. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, get on with some questions. Which two classes of blood pressure medication should never be taken in combination? These are ACEs and ARBs. Which blood pressure medication would be recommended as initial therapy for an African-American patient? And this is hydrochlorothiazide, which is a thiazide diuretic. What physical exam finding defines malignant hypertension? This is papilledema. Okay. All right, uh, before we dive into the material, a little disclaimer here. There have been some new hypertension guidelines released as of late 2017. I'm going to assume that the pants will not be updated that quickly, just knowing how the questions are reviewed and audited. The new guidelines are listed in the show notes. So if you head over to pastudysesh.blueberry.net, you can review those. And I'm just making a note that I'll need to update those in the future, but I just, I don't think they're going to be updated that quickly. So these are going to be talking, we're talking the JNC8 criteria here. All right. So definitions of hypertension. First, we're going to start with prehypertension. This is a systolic of 120 to 139 and a diastolic of 80 to 89. Now this jumps up, the systolics jump by ranges of 20, and the diastolics jump by ranges of 10. So stage one now is from 140 to 159, which is essentially a block of 20, and then diastolic is 90 to 99. Stage two is greater than 160 over greater than 100. So remember, your systolics go up by blocks of 20, your diastolics go up by blocks of 10. Hypertensive urgency is 180 plus over 120 plus with no evidence of end organ damage. I'll mention those in just a second. And a hypertensive emergency is the same blood pressure of 180 plus over 120 plus, but with end organ damage. I'm also gonna mention here when I'm saying these definitions, It doesn't have to be the systolic and the diastolic. If one meets criteria, then the patient meets criteria. And these readings should be done on two separate occasions in the clinic. Um, Obviously, urgency and emergency is a little bit different. But when we're talking a patient in the clinic, we're going to have that on two separate visits. Okay, symptoms. Primary hypertension, typically asymptomatic. Times where a patient with hypertension might have symptoms is with hypertensive emergency. And this is when we're talking that end organ damage. And I use the acronym ERB, 
or HERB. And this stands for heart, eyes, renal, and brain. So basically, if they have a blood pressure of 180 systolic or greater, or 120 diastolic or greater, plus any symptom that suggests a problem with the heart, the eyes, the kidneys, but I use R for renal, or the brain, then it's a hypertensive emergency. Some examples of these symptoms might be encephalopathy, intracranial hemorrhage, aka hemorrhagic stroke, nephropathy, unstable angina slash MI, and then papilledema. And papilledema is at the point at which uh, books start to call this a malignant hypertension, so you might see that term thrown around as well. All right, stepping back, treatment for the non-urgent or emergent. So your typical patient comes in for their physical. They've had two different blood pressure readings over the last couple of visits, and they have stage one hypertension. Lifestyle modifications first, always, 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 even if they're prehypertensive. Examples of this are the DASH diet, um, lower sodium diet, exercise, maintaining a healthy weight, smoking sensation. Smoking cessation. Pretty much things we want to tell all of our patients. So always the first step, lifestyle modifications. Then we begin medication therapy, and we begin this at 140 over 90. And this is also the goal that we're treating to with the exceptions of the following. If they are over 60 and have normal kidneys and don't have diabetes, then their treatment starts at 150 over 90. How I remember this is 150 over 90 has a difference of 60 between them. That's how I remember the age. And then kidneys and diabetes together are in my brain because they affect each other. Diabetes affects the kidneys, I should say. So I lump those all together. And then 140 over 90 is just your beginning for stage one hypertension criteria. Okay. So then the question is, which medication? We have four main classes to choose from. We have our ACE inhibitors. A stands for angiotensin-converting enzyme. These medications all end in the suffix pril. Some side effects of these guys are cough, hyperkalemia, that's elevated potassium, and angioedema. Contraindications here are renal artery stenosis and pregnancy. We can also choose to put them on an ARB. This is an angiotensin-2 receptor blocker. These end in sartan. Side effects here are also hyperkalemia and angioedema. So ACEs and ARBs are very similar. A lot of patients will start on an ACE and be converted to an ARB because they can't stand the ACE inhibitor cough. However, remember that ACE inhibitors have a cough. One, there's two reasons. One, cough starts with C and there's a C in ACE inhibitor. Another one is that I used Picmonic extensively for hypertension, and they have a great ACE inhibitor toxic toxicity 
Picmonic, and they use the mnemonic Captopril, and the C stands for um, the coughing coffee. So that's why I remember that ACE inhibitors have a cough. Okay, and ARBs don't. Contraindications here are the same as ACE inhibitors, renal artery stenosis, and pregnancy. All right. The third class we can use are calcium channel blockers. These ones are a little bit different than the ones that we've talked about previously. These all end in depine. Um, they're more effective as vasodilators than verapamil and diltiazem that we've mentioned a lot previously in this chapter. Um, however, they do still have some cardiac effects, so you might see side effects of cardiac depression. And our fourth class that we can use for monotherapy are the thiazide diuretics, most notably hydrochlorothiazide, which you will see abbreviated as HCTZ. Side effects here are hypokalemia, gout, and dyslipidemia. And this does have a sulfa moiety, so it's contraindicated in those with a sulfa allergy. All right, so we have four to choose from. Which one do we choose? Uh, there are a couple things that make a difference. And in order of priority, if they have chronic kidney disease or diabetes, they get an ACE or an ARB. ACEs and ARBs are renal protective. So always we want to protect the kidneys. Those are really important organ. So chronic kidney disease or diabetes, ACEs or ARBs. If they're African-American, we want to choose a thiazide diuretic, HCTZ. Or if that's not an option, go for a calcium channel blocker. Uh, boards generally won't choose that, but I've seen some practice questions that will, so just don't get thrown off with that. But uh, hydrochlorothiazides first, then calcium channel blockers. If they don't have either of those things, just pick one. Doesn't matter. Most people go with an ACE. Doesn't really matter. Now, if you have an African-American patient with diabetes, Diabetes trumps African-American, they get an ACE. Okay. That wasn't so hard, was it? Uh, you can continue adding on additional medications or you can increase the dose before you add another medication. Uh, guidelines say it doesn't matter. The biggest rule is though is that you never mix an ACE and an ARB. They both inhibit the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So one, you're working on the same system that doesn't make sense to inhibit the same thing twice. Two, their side effects are almost identical, which would be very bad. So don't do that. Between that combination, at most, they'll be on A, C, and T. Either an ACE, a calcium channel blocker, or a thiazide act. Other possible additions you might see, and I say these are additions, we are very rarely use these as monotherapy. These are beta blockers, your olols, and we're usually using these because they have some comorbidity, such as atrial fibrillation, they're post-MI, they have stable angina, or they have heart failure. Alpha blockers all end in zosin, the zosin ocean in Picmonic. Um, put these with BPH. How I remember BPH is because of the Zocian Ocean, I think of fluids and urination and fluids. That just made sense in my brain to put with BPH. So those are also additions. Don't use those as monotherapy. Monotherapy, you pick one of the big four. 
If a patient is pregnant, we'll use methyl dopa, but we'll talk more about hypertension in pregnancy when we cover OBGYN. Now, if they're resistant to medication, if you have them on three medications and their blood pressure is still high, you need to act and consider secondary hypertension. I'm just going to list a few things that should be on your differential at this point because we're going to talk about them kind of in other little spots. One of the biggest ones that boards like to pick on is renal artery stenosis. This is exactly what it sounds like in that the artery going to the kidneys is stenotic, so it's narrow, so you're not getting enough blood pressure to the kidneys. That messes up how your kidneys are sensing your blood volume when your blood pressure goes up. Another one is coarctation of the aorta. Think beads. Go back to that lecture. Sleep apnea. Pheochromocytoma. We'll talk about that in endocrine. This is also called a pheo. Primary hyperaldosteronism and thyroid disease. Okay. So now moving on to treatment for hypertensive urgency. So these guys don't have end organ damage. We can do this a little slower. We're going to decrease by 25% over 24 to 48 hours. We're going to have them rest in a quiet room. We can either increase their current med dose or may add clonidine in addition to their current medications, usually oral agents for these patients. Hypertensive emergency, we want to decrease no more than 25% in the first hour. And then we're going to decrease them um, slowly over the next 24 to 48 hours. We're treating the underlying cause here, which could be stroke or encephalopathy or other, other causes. But you're treating the cause, but you also just need to make sure that you're managing their blood pressure at the same time. Um, emergency, it's fast, so we use IV agents. IV agents work quickly. We can use sodium nitroprusside. This is a nitrate. Remember, nitrates are vasodilators. We can use nicardipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, remember, dipine, or hydralazine is used in pregnant patients. Okay, that was hypertension. Not that scary, right? We'll talk a little bit more about the drugs again when I do my pharmacology section. I just felt that it was more drug heavy in this lecture, so I went ahead and threw in all the side effects and contraindications that I thought were really important now so that you guys can hear them more than once. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and move on to hyperlipidemia. Lab values are provided on the pants for you, so I'm not even going to mention them here because they might be a little bit off and I'll get you confused. Just look at your lab value reference sheet when you're taking your boards. Okay, great. One last thing. Screening for hyperlipidemia is highly debated and highly varied. And when we have things that are controversial and varied, we can't make board questions about them. So that's one less thing you learned for boards. Wonderful. Um, how we do go about screening them is using a lipid panel. In, uh, I'm sure in practice or as a patient, you've seen them ordered oodles of time. We do order them fasting. Um, and this is due to the effect of eating on triglycerides. Cholesterol levels usually don't rise following eating, but triglyceride levels do. Um, so that's why we order them fasting. All right. 
Um, again, generally pretty asymptomatic. Occasionally you'll hear um, xanthomas or xanthelasmas. These are like little yellowy deposits that you can see in areas of thin skin, such as the eyes. So we'll just move on to treatment, which is really where the meat of hyperlipidemia topic comes from. Number one is statins. Uh, this is important. I think you should know that they are HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors. Yes, HMG-CoA is an abbreviation, but I think that's as, um, they'll keep that abbreviation for you. So I'll leave that there. Uh, they primarily function by lowering LDL, and they're believed to stabilize plaques and decrease inflammation, which is really good because that means fewer heart attacks and fewer strokes. And in fact, they're the only class of hyperlipidemia drugs shown to decrease mortality as both primary and secondary prevention. So these are good. Dosing for statins is based off a 10-year cardiovascular risk, your ASCVD 10-year risk. Don't memorize it. You know, it's based off of things like have they had a heart attack, their family history, their BMI, their age, all sorts of stuff. I don't think it's worth it, and I'm not going to spend time memorizing what high-dose atorvastatin versus low-dose, medium-dose. Don't Please don't do that, but just know that, that that's what the dosing is based off of. Response. Instead of treating to a number, we now base off of percent reduction. So if our cute little cardiovascular risk calculator that's an app now says that they need to be on high dose, um, that means that they're 50% reduction. Again, don't memorize that. Um, we're learning that they need, they're going to be reducing their cholesterol by 15%. So we're just going to recheck it in one to three months. Okay. So, so far, things you need to remember about statins. They're an HMG-CoA reductase inhibitor. They lower LDL. They stabilize plaques and decrease inflammation, which prevent heart attacks and strokes. Dosing is based off of cardiovascular risk. Okay. Um, Recheck in one to three months after beginning therapy. Side effects of statins. Kind of lumping them all together. We can have myalgias myositis, or the big bad bear, rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis, as the full word. And we're going to see how your memory is. Do you remember what lab tests we used to test for rhabdo? Or better yet, what lab test can we use to test for muscle breakdown? This is creatinine kinase, and that was way back in ortho, I think, in our compartment syndrome lecture. So if you got that, good job. Another side effect of statins is hepatitis. You monitor this by their liver function tests. Most drugs that work in the liver generally can make the liver angry, as we will see as this lecture continues. Okay, so those are statins. Those are the main ones we're going to use. They're everywhere. They're the ones that are scientifically proven to decrease mortality in patients. But boards seem to like to test us about every drug that we have available. So moving on to niacin. This is also called nicotinic acid. This is also called vitamin B3. 
This drug works by increasing your HDL. This is your high-density lipoprotein, also known as your good cholesterol. We want that to be as high as possible. We say greater than 60 is protective. You don't need to know that. Just That's your good cholesterol. Side effects include facial flushing, hyperuricemia. Remember, uric acid can lead to gout. Good. Um, and hyperglycemia, so caution in patients with diabetes. Again, there's a lot of other ways you can increase HDL, such as exercise. Um, and we're not quite sure what, you know, what the benefit of um, in solely increasing HDL. If they have LDL issues, we're going to treat their LDL. And we're already telling them to go exercise. So hopefully the whole thing corrects in general. But for boards. That's niacin. Another class of drugs are called bile acid sequestrants. These all have choli in the name, C-H-O-L-E. Remember that choli means bile. That's really awesome because it helps you remember what it does. Um, these prevent the reabsorption of bile in the gut. So these will decrease your LDL cholesterol, but also, unfortunately, increase your triglycerides. And this makes total sense. So bile is made from cholesterol. So if we don't reabsorb bile, we're not reabsorbing the cholesterol that the bile is made from. Now, if we have extra bile sitting around in the gut, bile's job is to help break down the fat. And so those fats will be broken down more efficiently and therefore we'll have more triglycerides. See? That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? All right. Side effects of the GI nature. Pick them. They're pretty nonspecific. Nausea, diarrhea, etc. But um, this drug works in the gut, and all of the side effects are problems of the gut. Very logical. All right. A fourth one is called ezetimibi or zetia. I'm just going to mention this because it shows up on a lot of questions as like another answer. And so I want you to be familiar with the name. Uh, it also inhibits cholesterol absorption. It's in a little bit different spot. That doesn't really matter. It lowers LDL. It's a questionable benefit. Um, I just want you to be familiar with the name that it's actually a cholesterol drug. It's usually not something you'll ever pick as an answer though. So there it is. Okay. The final topic for today is hypertriglyceridemia. Um, again, lab values are provided for you, so we're just going to jump straight to the treatment. Treatment here are fibrates. They all have fibrates somewhere in the name, and it's beautiful because you're given generics, so they will all show that fibrate name. Um, side effects, increased liver function tests. Again, we're going to the science here, but it's, it's working in the liver. Um, can also have myalgias or myositis. Both of those things can be made worse if you're also taking a statin. So caution with that. Um, and these can also contribute to the formation of gallstones. So those are the big three side effects of fibrates. Again, debatable about why we would even treat sole hypertriglyceridemia. Um, one thing we'll mention later is that super high triglycerides can cause pancreatitis. But again, when you're t studying hyperlipidemia, 
satin, 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 satin. Know those, love those. It's a good place to start. Okay, that was it. Two very big topics. Uh, really kind of hopefully simplified bare bones as always is my goal. Let's go on with our questions. Calcium channel blockers that act better as vasodilators and in which suffix? This is Depeen. Name one potential etiology of secondary hypertension. I'm going to list all the ones that I gave you, knowing that there's more that are possible that I didn't list. Renal artery stenosis, coarctation of the aorta, sleep apnea, thyroid disorder, pheochromocytoma, and primary hyperaldosteronism. Name the mechanism of action of statins. This is that they inhibit HMG-CoA reductase. That was what I was specifically looking for. You also said lower LDL. It's also a good answer. When I say mechanism of action, I'm looking more for the enzymes. All right. Five takeaway points from today. Number one, never mix an ACE and an ARB. Number two, lifestyle modifications first for all patients with hypertension, beginning at prehypertension. Number three, and organ damage equals heart, eyes, renal, and brain. Use the acronym HERB. Number four, ACEs and ARBs can both cause hyperkalemia and angioedema. However, most patients tend to start with an ACE but switch to an ARB because of an intolerance to the ACE inhibitor cough. C for cough, coughing coffee. Number five, Diabetes or chronic kidney disease gets an ACE or an ARB. African Americans get hydrochlorothiazide or a calcium channel blocker if that's not available. Everyone else, you can choose any of the above. Okay. All right, everyone. That was everything. I appreciate you guys tuning in yet again. I think next week we might finally be ready for our cardio hodgepodge. Um, so we'll bust that out. And uh, let's see other things to note. Oh, I did mention Picmonic during this episode. If you head on over to my website, pastudysesh.blueberry.net, I added a new page called the resources page. You will find a little intro video to what Picmonic is about. They have basically what they do is they combined an image with a narration and these really awesome characters to create a image that you will never forget. And I uh, wrote a little story there about, yes, I do still remember things from when I was in didactic year from Picmonic. Um, I cannot say enough good things about them. They just keep getting better. They also now have repetition you can do uh, they have multiple choice quizzes now which is awesome make way more practice questions the better and they have data to back it up even if you don't think that you're a visual learner the audiovisual format that Picmonic has created is phenomenal uh, they did a double blind study that showed a 50% increase in exam scores after one week and a 331% increase in long-term retention of high-yield information. Uh, you can try it out. 
And also on the resources page, you'll find a link that will give you 20% off your subscription for PA study session listeners. So, um, like I said, I have tried their product. I have used it. If you have any questions, uh, send me an email. You can send me an email about Picmonic, any other questions or clarifications you need, any feedback. My email, as you guys know, is pastudysesh at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Lee Rosevere for the use of his songs, Curiosity and Tech Toys, as the intro, outro, and question portions of our podcast. Please share us with your friends, shout us out on social media, write us a review, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. That is the best way that I can grow. Congratulations to the AT Still students who graduated within the last week. I know that feels good. Good luck on your board. And uh, that is everything I have for you guys. So, like I said, next week, cardio hodgepodge. And then we'll just uh, be trucking right along. So, enjoy your guys' week. And I hope to hear from you soon.